to me, a game of hockey is also about theatre. And every time you go into a, into the theatre, you want to be uh, surprised. And uh, we've had, we, we've had some fabulous uh, theatre, haven't we, in uh, EHL over so many years now. Welcome to Studio Hockey. Hello, everybody. We are back with a new podcast, and I am delighted to tell all of you we have no one other than the voice of hockey in our podcast so rest assured i will talk as little as possible you will not be annoyed by my uh, annoying voice you will have the smooth voice of nick irvine talking hockey welcome nick (laughs) thanks very much Jens. and uh, hi everybody i hope you're all staying nice and well in these crazy times nick let's dive into it immediately uh, you are the, the, the one of the most well-known and respected hockey commentators out there in the world uh, and, and you've been the voice of, of European Hockey League which has been a landmark for our sport obviously um, but why did you become a sports commentator and why did you become a hockey commentator and how? <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of people ask me that and, and like so many things in life it owes a lot to serendipity and my good fortune. Uh-huh. i I started my working life as a schoolmaster, director of sport, and obviously hockey played a big part in that. And then I got involved in uh, helping to organise the Men's World Cup in London in 1986. And that showed me another side of, uh, of hockey as, as a volunteer. I was having to continue with my schoolwork, of course. Uh, but it showed me what uh, went on behind the scenes in organising hockey events, uh, with a particular interest, uh, perhaps, in the, in the media as well. I'd always wanted to be uh, a, a sports reporter. As a young boy, uh, soccer was my uh, my game, and I used to write. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, I'm still very fond of uh, of my soccer. It has to be said. But in those days, aged about eleven and twelve, a I'd never seen a hockey game, uh, and b yeah. at school my my sport was soccer. And we started a a little uh, boys' football club in my village of or town of Kenilworth. And uh, I used to write up the match reports, usually making sure my name got plenty of mentions, whether I'd scored or not. (laughs) Uh, And it was was usually not. But uh, once I got into into hockey and into the World Cup organization, uh, I started wondering whether uh, I was missing out on something. Uh, School mastering was a great career for me, and uh, I don't regret any of it at all. But when the opportunity came to join English hockey in uh, in 1988, as a full-time member of staff on the the promotional and uh, events side of things, I leapt the chance. Mm-hmm. And from there, really, I, I fell into commentating by accident when our Great Britain men's team came back uh, in 1988 from solo, going straight into our first ever season of the National Hockey League. And there was more mm-hmm. media interest around on the sport because of the gold medal than ever before. And one of our regional television companies, Television Southwest, uh, were having a hosting a game in the first week of the National League season uh, between mm-hmm. Isker, which is Exeter-based, and uh, the famous Southgate Club, who had, I think it was, five Olympic gold medals in it. So we needed a commentator, and having examined the, the very short list of, of hockey commentators, nobody else was available. So the uh-huh. the director, a chap called Peter Bowerclough, said, well, that's a shame, Nick. It probably means we won't be able to, uh, to televise it. 
So I, as a throwaway remark, I said, well, I'll have, have a go if you like, Pete. And he, he went... Hand me the mic. Hand me the mic. Well, I, was, I wasn't quite so uh, enthusiastic, but I thought it was... A, I couldn't think it was that difficult. To be honest with you, if every schoolmaster will know that occasionally you go into a lesson slightly undercooked, slightly underprepared, <laughs> underprepared and you can somehow get through it. And at least I knew my subject. I knew certainly the Southgate yeah. players and some of the Exeter Isca players as well. And I got away with it anyway. And uh, Pete Bartroff moved on, and he moved on to a forerunner of Eurosport. And a few months later, he got back to me and said, do you fancy picking up the mic again? Well, I did. And uh, and that's how it started. No training, no uh, wow. Never really very much in the way of feedback, apart from our beloved uh, hockey fans out there who occasionally tell me exactly what they think, uh, or exactly what, <laughs> or exactly what I should think in some cases. And uh, probably, and here we are, what thirty odd years later. It's been, uh, I am the luckiest man in the world. I hope you know that. Uh, I certainly do. What, what watching watching that many games from this up close, uh, you are one of the lucky ones out there. Absolutely. Yeah, not just watching the games, but meeting the people. You know the the characters yeah. behind our sport. So many friendships uh-huh. over the years. It's it's been. Uh, yeah, I, I still pinch myself on a regular basis. Uh-huh. Wonderful, wonderful. You, you've been, you've been in in the last decade more or less. You've been uh, the voice of of the European Hockey League, the EHL, which has been uh, amazing for our sport. Um, can, can you? But that that I, I can imagine those are really tough days for you because there are several games a day. Uh, can you walk us through a day of commentating at the EHL? Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't describe them as tough days, Ernst. If I look at my, <laughs> if I look at my diary, uh, not this year because everything is crossed out, but in previous years, they they are probably the best days in the year, as far as I'm concerned. They are. The AHL has give, yeah. g- given so much to to our sport, and I have to tell you, it's given a huge amount to me as well. I've, I've made again so many new contacts, new friends. It's been wonderful. To be Part of the game is actually pushing the envelope, making it develop at a speed that hitherto we we could only dream about. This made real changes, mm-hmm. but yeah, the, the day normally starts off uh, with, a, with a hearty breakfast in the in the uh, official hotel, and then uh, there's the thought of uh, getting to the ground. Transport's normally arranged, so well, in fact, transport's always arranged. Come to think of it, so <laughs> I try and ar- arrive at the ground about an hour and a half to two hours beforehand. Not because there's a huge amount of preparation that can be done at that point, but really just to make sure everything's in order, making sure that the uh, the route to the commentary box hasn't been closed off by uh, scaffolding towers or anything else. Uh, and just, yeah. just time to, to settle oneself down. I normally try and find a quiet spot in the clubhouse where I can just go through my papers and make sure everything is in order. Because with the games coming so quickly one after the other, if you're not prepped at the start of the day, pretty much for, for all, let's say, four games that might be coming up, then there's not really time between the games to do much more than possibly to grab a bottle of water, possibly to eat half a sandwich, uh, and to pick up the all-important match sheet, which normally gets delivered uh, to the media centre about 40, yeah. 45 minutes before the start of a game. Uh, because obviously the match is starting, let's say, on the hour, but the commentary is probably starting 
five or six minutes before that. So it's not a huge amount of time. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and as regular followers of the HL will know, we're not always blessed with great weather. So sometimes we need a little, <laughs> little bit of time to defrost as well. But uh, I can't pretend yeah. to, to you or to anybody else listening that it's anything but a pleasure and, and a privilege. And it has been a privilege. No. So, but how do you do this preparation? Because obviously throughout the years, you've, you've come to know practically every coach, every, every player that's out there. How do you do? How do you prepare for new players or new teams that you do not know yet? Uh... Well, with, with trepidation, to be truthful, I mean the EHL <laughs> is very fortunate to have uh, Stephen Finlatter as the as its media officer, and and he does a huge amount of the spade work, and I don't think I thank him enough really for what what he does throughout the hockey season in digging out the stories, finding out the, 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 the team news, who's moved where, and, and the rest of it. But the other thing, the other thing I, that I don't mind sharing with anybody is that, you know, you, you do see commentators who are prepped up to, to the nth degree for a game of soccer or a game of rugby or, or, or whatever the sport. That's not really the way I, I operate because there are so many games coming in, as you say, so many new teams. It's virtually mm-hmm. impossible to, to do that degree of preparation for for every game you go into. So, uh, yeah, of course, I have a few a few notes written down about clubs and about their their, their players, but I'm not Stato. I don't pretend to be Stato. I, I'm not convinced that hockey is a particularly yeah. statistics-driven sport in the sense that we need to know that's the 47th time that Arani uh, Road of uh, uh, hit the post or whatever. I, I try not to have too many preconceived ideas about the game that's about to unfold either. Because to me, it's uh-huh. to me a game of hockey is also about theatre. And every time you yeah, go into, a, into the theatre, you want to be uh, surprised and uh, no, I we've had, yeah, we've had some fabulous uh, theatre, haven't we, in uh, EHL over so many years now? Wow, wow, absolutely. So, but w- w- when you do sit down at the chair on your tower or or whatever place that they find for you, because sometimes you are in the most odd places as well. I can imagine as a commentator. <laughs> well, sitting in my ivory tower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but when you're sitting down and 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 the whistle is blown and the game starts, as a commentator, do you look at the game differently than the normal spectators, and what do you focus on? No, I, I think I am a spectator, and and to be honest with you, Ernst, when the when the first whistle blows, I breathe a hearty sigh of relief because the, to me, the bit that leads up to the first whistle is the hard stuff. Yeah. Um, because you can't you can't prep for anything after the first whistle because you don't know what's going to happen, so you you are completely off the cuff. Uh, no, I'm I guess like everybody else, I'm, I'm I'm watching the game. I'm trying very hard not to tell everybody everything they can see already because it's television and not radio. EHL through their partners with Southfield, we have some of the most talented. Uh, uh, television professionals that there is out there. They do a, an incredible job. And you talk about me wrapped up on, on my my scaffolding tower, but the cameramen too are doing often four games a day, and their degree of concentration is incredible. And I look out of my, my scaffolding tower, and I look down the line, and there are the, com- 
the, uh, the the cameraman wrapped up against the elements. The rain's washing down. And then I look back at my TV screen and the quality of images that they're, they're producing for us are world class. It's, yeah, I, I mean, they have brought so much to the event. They really have. And they're, they're very much part of, part of the EHL family. They really changed hockey with, with, with the rules. But yeah, the way that the game is brought to us, I think that, that was what the, the biggest difference that the EHL made uh, in, in the last decade. And uh, uh, absolutely right that you should focus on, 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 on the, the way that the, the game is shown is, is, is an absolute uh, miracle there. What, what do you think that EHL meant for hockey other than that? Other, other than yeah, creating the images that, that make us want to play hockey? I think EHL was a very, very forward-thinking project. And uh, people like Leandro Negre and uh, Maritz Hendricks uh, brainstorming it and other partners as well, um, Jans Hensel at Amsterdam, Bert Spark, yeah. who was the, the, the commercial wing of it, certainly in the early days, and the partnerships with the TV companies as well, because at the end of the day, we're all in it together. But I think hockey needed something like the EHL to be a sounding board and a think tank for, for new ideas. And mm-hmm. the strength of hockey in Europe gave it some, some credibility. And the strength of our clubs in Europe gave it uh, some some great atmosphere. It wasn't easy. I mean, I, I still remember the very early years of EHL our crowds were very sparse. It was a, a bit of a slow burner for two seasons, I think, uh, while we got it uh-huh. got it underway, while, while teams and national associations grasped the potential that they had with the AHL. But my goodness, since those early stages, we've, we've come on in leaps and bounds, I think. And now I think I'm right in saying that for even for our top international players, it's the, one of the standout events in their personal calendars. And I know that it's an event that everybody wants to be a part of. And uh, yeah, it is. I have to tell you, the same can be said for me as well. Yeah, I can imagine. I think I think it's the standout event, not not just for the players, for the coaches, for the teams, yeah, for the clubs, for sure. but also for the media, for the media and for the spectators. And, and it's, for it's the, also one of these events that everybody wants to be there. Huh? And for the umpires and, and the officials. And, and yeah. you, we can't move the game forward unless the umpires uh, are moving at the same pace. And I think one of the great success stories of the EHL is, is the way that the umpires have been integrated within the main event. And we've because the umpires generally are wired up, and we can hear what they're saying. We can appreciate the contribution they're making to each and every game, and how how hard they're working with the players to make it into a, a spectacle that people genuinely want to watch. And you know, it's very hard to think over the years in the AHL of where umpires have, I use the hackneyed expression, spoiled the game. But the umpires have, have grasped that the AHL is about an entertaining brand of hockey. And they had to, to buy into that and they have bought into it and it's been fantastic. We, we're living sad times at the moment with, with, with COVID and, and, and lockdowns all over the world and, and uh, a lot of events, not just sports, but most events uh, being cancelled all over the world. And ESL has fallen victim to that as well. Uh, last time I spoke with Marek Fleuren, we were still hopeful that the ESL would, would be played in Amsterdam. Uh, but yeah, uh, COVID has made uh, this impossible. Um, do you think EHL will make a comeback soon? And uh, will, will it be changed or will we go back to normal, do you think, with EHL? 
Well, I'd like to be in a meeting with you and, uh, and Marika. That's a, a meeting of great optimists. But, yeah, it, <laughs> we, certainly, we certainly did hope that uh, it would be possible to, to play EHL this year. But when we embarked on this uh, crazy COVID journey, none of us knew where it was going to take us. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm convinced, 100% convinced, that, that we will be back and we will be back stronger uh, and there'll be one hell of a party when we do get back together. I, I know from just speaking to my own uh, close contacts how much everybody has, has missed it. But it was quite the right decision this year to, to pull the plug on it because we need to keep everybody within the hockey family and, and without uh, safe. And we don't want to be responsible for for spreading the wretched uh, disease any further than it is already. Um but we have to we have to believe that there is a solution just around the corner. Um, we have to believe that, and I, I'm sure that, that just as soon as it is safe and sensible to go uh, back into into battle, we will do so. My only worry is we may all come out of it at different times, uh, even within the continent of Europe. It may not be possible for everybody within Europe to to participate mm -hmm. and that will be a, a, a sad thing if that if that proves to be the case but i don't think that any event can necessarily wait for all of its family mem members to be 100 percent clear before they they resurrect something as important as 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 the, uh, the euro hockey league if it makes us come back do you do you think because yeah probably it will be in stages and, and not every country will probably be ready at the same time but the 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 the, the Chances are that we'll have to come back without audience, without the public. Um, how, how much will that affect the, the the magic of EHL? Do you think? Oh, massively, absolutely, massively, Ernst. and mm -hmm. and I, I would question the financial viability of uh, of EHL without at least some support. Um, whether we get back to the heady days of a couple of years ago where we can sell out stadium uh stadia and uh and have a chance at least of covering our costs is one thing but the, the costs involved in staging the hl are, are huge uh and i'm watching a lot of um of football as i'm sure everybody is on on tv at the moment with no crowds and it does take away massively from the from the events um uh, yeah, I, I don't even want to think about that, to be honest with you. I, when EHL comes back, I want it to come back not in a diminished... Full force. Well, full force. And let's not forget that this year was going to be a very special... This year, last year, was going to be a very special year with the equally amazing yeah. uh, project uh, coming to uh, to fruition and, of course, with the involvement mm -hmm. of the women's side of the game in EHL. And that I know Marika well enough, and she, she won't mind me saying this, I'm sure. That must have been a massive disappointment when she had to pull the plug on it this year because she invested so much in making that come about. But yeah. I mean, we, yeah, we are where we are, that, that well-known expression of the day. And uh, let, let's hope it's not too long before some bright spark comes up with a, a vaccine that enables all one day to, to laugh about these, these times. So I suspect that may, may be a long way away. Moving on then, what, one of the other great events uh, around the world that, that, that helped change hockey, it helped change hockey and help improve hockey, my beliefs anyways, was the, 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 the Asian counterpart of the EHL, the Hockey India League. 
What what were your thoughts on the hockey in the league, and do you believe that it will make a comeback? Because for the hockey in the league, it's been several years since we had to do without. Yeah, I'm, I'm, to be honest with you, Lance, I'm not I'm not as close to the, uh, the Indian Hockey League as as I, I might have been, uh, as I would have liked to have been in some respects. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I I can't see it coming back. A lot will depend, I think, because of its. The financial basis, the franchise uh, basis that it was it was operating under. How strong will the Indian economy be when all this is is over? I mean, I I see the news as as I know you do, and I I know that India is suffering mm-hmm. awfully from from COVID at the moment. How how are its company yeah. how are its global companies doing? These are the people. These are the money men who will be putting the, the money into it. Uh, will, will hockey or any sport, for that matter, be a priority in 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 uh, in a climate where there is perhaps greater unemployment than before, a greater need for uh, for building new hospitals or whatever? Uh, it's it, it, it's a bit of a stretch to, to see it coming back, certainly in the form it was before. Uh, for, mm-hmm. for me personally, I I wasn't that close to it. Uh, to be honest with you, because of its its ad hoc nature, because it wasn't allied either to a country or to to a club, it was a, yeah. a little bit false. No, no, it was a lot false. Um, it certainly caught the imagination of uh, of the people, and we all know the passion for hockey that is is there in India, either being tapped or to be tapped. And nobody would be happier than me to see it resurrected. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know enough about uh, Indian economy to, to know whether it is viable or not. And indeed, I've not seen the accounts for for the first couple of years the Indian uh, Hockey League to know whether it was a ever a viable option. Really, the other great uh, event that was launched uh, in in uh, just a couple of years ago uh, is is the the big FIH Pro League. Um, what what are your thoughts on 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 the pro league, uh, where it stands right now, and what do you think that the future will be from an event like that? Yeah, you're, you're giving some pretty hardball questions here, and Sandy. That what, what what do I think about the, the, the pro league? Well, in some ways, the same as I think about the Indian Hockey League, and it's this: that any event that hockey has, I want to be successful. How you measure success, you know, I'll, I'll leave you to have your own ideas about. But one of, one of the uh, the measures has got to be whether it's sustainable financially or whether it's going to bleed the the, the sport dry. The timing of of, of COVID, it was never going to be good timing. But I mean, the pro league was at a stage where it was trying to reshape itself, FIH sensibly started to look at ways they could cut their costs from a very high base to make it uh, less of a loss maker. But we don't really know what's what's happened, partly because I certainly haven't seen any accounts produced, and partly because mm-hmm. you know, the whole thing was truncated and, and countries went into lockdown at different times. Some countries certainly embrace it. I, mean, I was lucky enough to be involved in the games uh, in the Netherlands. We had some fabulous crowds, some absolutely astonishing crowds, yeah. and again, some pretty awful weather. But there, there was clearly an appetite for it. 
clearly an appetite, mm-hmm. and some some great hockey was played. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure that the the uh, the pro league will come back. It may still need to do a little bit of have a little bit of trimming done. I've I've done a little bit of commentating uh, on matches from from the pro league. And their model is now that they take the commentators to uh, to a studio in in uh, in Stockholm, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's not an easy gig. I'll be honest with you, and I have sympathy with anybody who finds themselves sitting behind a monitor in a in a studio which is about three meters by two meters, watching a screen mm-hmm, at, mm-hmm. Uh, at three o'clock in the morning because it's uh, being played the other side of the world or whatever, and be expected to commentate live. So it's not ideal. But it's uh, it's what the game can probably afford uh, at the moment, and uh, yeah, I, mm-hmm. of course I hope the pro league comes back uh, and comes back strongly and in 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 full in full flower, as it were. I mean, there is talk about matches going ahead now behind closed doors, and I don't I don't think that's mm-hmm. going to help us sell the sport. It, it probably helps us fulfil contractual arrangements with TV companies, but it's not the sh- the showcase yeah. that we want it to be. We have, especially if you if you're living in Europe, we have we have both we have two systems of hockey. We have domestic hockey, which is club hockey uh, usually, or, or schools hockey, or, or university hockey, uh, and you have international hockey, the, the game played by national teams. Both of them can be played in tournaments or in a league. Which format is is the one that you prefer? Do you prefer a, a longer running league, as we know in in in, in European Cup competitions uh, domestically? Or do you prefer the the, the excitement of, of of short tournament-based uh, uh, events like like we had the Champions Trophy back in the past and uh, yeah, like a World Cup, for example, or, or or an Olympics as well? I like a mixture of them all, Lance. To be honest with you, when I when I started <laughs> when I started playing hockey a very long time ago, there, there weren't leagues at all. You weren't allowed to have leagues. You couldn't win cups. Uh-huh. You couldn't win anything really. But, but, but apart from you know, it was it was a recreational sport, uh, and they weren't bad days either, to be honest with you. And I, I guess when you drop down the sides, most of the games are played with with uh, a, a good friendly atmosphere and no no league points particularly of of interest. But no, I, I think that mm-hmm. I, I think a, a mixed diet is a good diet. Uh, I was a huge fan of the, uh, the cha- <laughs> I was a huge fan of the the champions uh, trophy. And I still, yeah. I to be honest with you, I would still say that it's there to be resurrected at some point. Uh, I think it was a fabulous format. And again, I think most of the people mm-hmm. who ever ever were involved in it, and certainly those who played in it, would not uh, be sorry to see it return. Uh, it, it wasn't broke, but they just decided that they wanted to fix it in a, in a different way. But it's still there. Nothing, we've, mm-hmm. we've lost nothing. Apart from perhaps a few years, but uh, yeah, it, f- for me, I don't think it's a it's a one or the other. I, I like uh, I like it when you mix things up. I also quite like the idea of, of hockey having a bit of a a closed season. When I was when, mm-hmm. when I was playing myself, I, I really quite enjoyed a little bit of cricket, perhaps in in the summer, or a little bit of a holiday. And I do worry about some of our top players uh, out there. You you. You're the father. Yeah, they play 365 days a year. Yeah, enough now, huh? for sure. And uh, you can have too much of a good thing sometimes. And, and no, absolutely. It, you can make people very stale. And 
Yeah, it, it's. I'm not convinced. not just the players, the spectators, the spectators as well. Yeah, right? if you get too much of, uh, of even even good hockey, uh, too much is too much, huh? Too much is too much. I, exactly. What what changes do you foresee uh, happening in uh, in hockey uh, uh, rules wise or event wise or whatever? What what do you think is uh, will happen for the better or for worse, or what should happen maybe? Well. I think we're all aware of, of the direction of travel at the moment with the so much talk and uh, planning now for, for Hockey Fives. Uh, I, I think it's inevitable that that will, will be an event. It will be a sport. Um, I'm not, again, a bit like the Pro League. I, we can't afford it to fail. But I hope that its success... Mm-hmm of Hockey Fives isn't to the detriment of the 11-a-side game. And I fear that part of the rationale behind its thinking is that it's it's getting ready to take over should should hockey lose its uh, Olympic seat. And that, to me, is the greatest threat to the sport as I know it. But in, in 20 years' time, perhaps when people have forgotten about the 11-a-side version of the game, and I, I fear that they they might if it loses its Olympic uh, situation status, status yeah. then it may prove to be a really good thing I, you know I don't think you know I'm, I'm an old man now I guess and I don't think necessarily everything that's gone before was great and everything that's going to come in the future represents change and is therefore to be opposed I think the uh, European Federation have, have got it right in that they are aware of the direction of travel they're, they've monitored that, and they're going to create their own their own league. So they're in a position to to cover all the bases uh, at any time, without necessarily saying yes. We're in favour of, of of hockey fives uh, to the detriment of the eleven side game, but you've got to be in it to, to really to have a seat with it in in the conversation. So I, I welcome I welcome that uh, I welcome that development. Um, but I'm fearful of its of its uh, potential to to change the sport that I know we've both and so many other people have enjoyed over the years. The eleven aside, the full fat version of the uh, of the sport. Okay, coming back closer to home for you, Dan. Um, what do you expect of the English Club Hockey League this season that has uh, just started? Yeah. Yeah. Well. <laughs> probably about the same as I expect of any any league this season. I just I just wish our clubs well. I just hope that they can they can see their way through because our clubs are not. And I speak now really for from an English perspective. Our clubs are not wealthy institutions. They are social institutions that that give a huge amount to their local communities and are providing an awful lot of sporting opportunities for kids who otherwise would be up to all sorts of mischief. I know I would have been when I was a boy. Um, yep. Same here. But Same here. <laughs> we've probably been doing it together and causing mayhem, <laughs> causing mayhem somewhere at somebody's expense. But these must be really test. I'm not particularly connected closely now to a club, but these must be testing times. So how you can keep your clubhouse, which may be staffed professionally or, or, or with volunteers, how you can keep that open and viable how you can support the youngsters who are still... I mean, hockey is hugely popular in the UK amongst our kids. Many of them are starting off yeah. off in schools, but some of them are not. But the, the, the schools mm-hmm. and the clubs have, I think, in many ways, never been closer than they are at the moment. 
which which is great. Mm-hmm. Lots of partnerships being forged between schools and, and local clubs. And I mean, if one club, sounds like a good thing. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. I mean, I know you and I, because we spoke before this, this podcast started, have different <laughs> ideas about the strengths and weaknesses of, of, of the school system as opposed to the club system. But again, a, a bit like we were talking about players, maybe a mixture of the two is is the perfect the perfect ticket. It has to be recognised in England that without the, the schools and the school facilities, there would be virtually no club hockey possible because the majority of the the club hockey that is played on synthetic turf is being played on school facilities nowadays. There aren't that many of our clubs who've been able to invest sufficiently to, to have their own turfs down. And that, yeah. that, 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 that's one of the points where we disagree. <laughs> well, we, don't, we don't disagree. It's just that our clubs are formed in, 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 in a different way. I mean, I learned when I was one of my sojourns to Holland that a lot of the clubs in Holland rent, rent their ground off the local council. And rent their, yeah, rent that was their, going to be my next question. Yeah. Do you think that that English government, uh, local government or or, 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 or or big national government should invest more in, in into sports infrastructure for hockey because of its health uh, benefits and, 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 and the social benefits of, of uh, we all know why you play team sports. It helps in the education and it helps in the health of, of people. Should government invest more in sports infrastructure in England? Well, that would be fantastic. That w- that would be fantastic. I wrote to David Cameron when he was the Prime Minister a few years ago um, and said to him, Mr. Cameron, if, if I choose to give to a charity um, in monetary terms, let's say £100 to, to, a, to a chosen charity, the government will give me an extra or give the charity an extra £25 uh, for, yeah. for their funds, so it's it's the the gift becomes added value. Yeah, and that everybody accepts that's a great thing to, to happen. But what about the volunteers who give their time to the local club? If they could somehow monetize that effort that they're putting in, based perhaps on 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 a minimum wage, so you get a, you get somebody who's, who's running youth training on a Sunday morning, putting in four hours. If he if he could cost mm-hmm. those four hours, even at the minimum wage, and say to the government, I've put in, I've put in uh, four hours worth twenty five pounds. I claim the tax back on that to be given to my sports club as a charitable foundation. To me, that would give the clubs the funding to get the thing going. I did have a reply. Uh, I don't. I don't think it was ever good. <laughs> it, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't high on his priority list. But uh, that, I mean, to, to me, that's the sort of idea. That's the sort of. I mean, our volunteers uh, within all of our clubs in all of our countries are fantastic people. Without whom, there would be no sport at all and um, you know we're talking about hockey Absolutely. and our volunteers in hockey yeah. are the best of the best of that i have mm-hmm. nothing would convince me otherwise we would be nowhere without them at all nowhere at all they are the true sponsors well, they're the real sponsors of hockey if you like in in, in so many ways no 100% agree 100% agree do, do you think that there is an uh, an english cup that uh, would be capable and and that you would see hosting the an EHL event so not at the Lee Valley stadium but really at an english club well that's uh, you mean for the for the EHL and the EHL round 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh-huh. We, uh-huh. we've had one. We had a very successful tournament run by uh, very good people down at East Grinstead uh, a few uh-huh. few years ago now. Blessed with diabolical uh-huh. diabolical weather, but it was a great event. And we've, we've <laughs> and we, of course we've had one in 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 Northern Ireland as well at uh, Banbridge. One of the best round ones that I can ever remember, uh, and that was a yeah, there was a lot of enthusiasm there. Oh, fabulous, and they're still talking about it now. And to me, that was that was the gift that keeps on giving. They put so much, so much work. But why don't we see it more? What? In, in in those regions, in England, in Northern Ireland. Uh... Why don't we see it more? Well, I, I, I think the opportunities are not are not that that many because we we used to have two round ones. We now only have one. We have some contractual. Out- uh, obligations to our friends in in the city of Barcelona uh, who have, mm-hmm. have uh, helped finance the European Hockey League over a number of seasons now, and you can't just walk away from mm-hmm. financial obligations. There has been a, a, a marked reluctance from from English clubs to put their hand up for these things, and and it's not to their credit. But what I can honestly tell you, Ernst, is I think there are more clubs now capable. Of doing it in England, almost at any time that I that I can remember. Surbiton ran out. Good to hear. Surbiton, for example, who are a fabulous club. Uh, I wish they were a little close to my home, which is about a hundred miles <laughs> or so away. Uh, running many many youth teams, great partnerships with local schools, great local support. Um, they run a, a very successful European uh, Nations event for women's women's uh-huh. event, uh, European clubs event, I should say, uh, which was fabulous. So they could certainly do it, and they have the they have the ambition, the drive, and the infrastructure to do it. Beeston could could certainly do it. They've got to qualify first of all. Uh, East Grinstead uh-huh. have done it and could probably do it again. Holcombe, I think, could certainly could certainly do it. Could certainly do it. Um, it, it, it sounds like you've got candidates enough. Well, I think, I think we have now, and I, you know, it's been a bit of a slow burner. And I think people have looked at what's happening in Holland and some of the events that we've seen in Belgium uh, and in Holland and in Germany and in and in Spain. And I think English people have looked and said, oh, "Not sure we could get that sort of support." Well, I, I think there is the support there, and I'm a great believer in the old feel of dream thing. You know, Build it, and they will come, sort of thing. And I think if we, <laughs> yep. uh, I think you're right to, to ask me. Apart from Lee Valley, I, for me, the EHL is about clubs, and I think I think yeah. we should be running our events at clubs whenever and wherever possible. The oh, we mentioned about Barcelona, and I won't I won't shy away from that. The Power Negri Stadium over there is a community facility, really. Olympic Le- mm-hmm. Olympic Legacy Stadium, uh, and what the the uh, Catalan clubs have done is, I think, pretty much on a rotor basis, they've been a sort of a surrogate host, and from the early knockings when it was really quite hard work, they've got better and better and better and better with every every addition we've had out there, um, and so it's it's a lot more yeah, like. But I'm, but I'm, I'm not kicking open doors now when when I state that. The biggest mistake that the city of Barcelona made when they 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 went into the contract with EHL and said we're going to do all of these first rounds at the Pau Negra Stadium is that location. I've, in, in, in my honesty, in, in my belief, if they would have done one event at Polo, Polo Club de Barcelona, another one at, at Atleti Terrassa or Egara, uh, you would have had, had, I think, a better audience locally 
than you have at the moment. Well, we have had we have had editions of EHL at, at all of those venues that you mentioned, uh, and I'd like to think mm-hmm. we'll be welcome back at, at, at all of them. But you know, he who pays the piper pays uh, uh, plays the tune, yeah. and to, to to an extent, it, it's the because it's a it's a, a council facility. They probably want to see it utilised. Uh, I thought you were going to say the biggest mistake they made was not using the other pitch because over one side that our cameras <laughs> struggle to see, you have the most spectacular yes. view of one of the most spectacular cities in the, the whole of Europe, but we don't get to see it. That was the second mistake. <laughs> that was the second mistake. In, in terms of city marketing, you 100% agree. Uh, the other pitch offers an amazing view of the city of Barcelona. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And, uh, and they're lovely people. But you know, we know that our clubs are special. We, you know, we know that, yeah. and I think we do miss a little, a little bit of trick when we don't go to clubs. But yeah, you, you asked me about English clubs, and I think there are there are places that could do it now. And let's not forget our friends in in Scotland. At that time, maybe they they Absolutely. stood up. I mean, the Bambridge example was just how you can, if you get if you galvanise the community, you can do anything. And Bambridge were a wonderful example of that. I remember on the on the Sunday morning, I was I was staying out in the wilds of Moira country out in in County Down, and was driving in. Stopped at a garage, and a chap looked at me as as a somebody he hadn't seen but any time before in his life, and uh, he said, well, you know, always said, "What are you doing here?" So, well, I'm I'm here for the hockey, and he knew, he wasn't a hockey person. But he knew all about the event, what was happening, what the Bambridge boys had to do that that day. It was oh, fabulous. Wow. And I left. I left yeah. first time in my life. I left the uh, garage with a, with a tear in my eye. It was, it was really wonderful. <laughs> uh, and they, they, they were they were great people. Well, I can imagine. Okay, let, let let let's move away from the politics of the game and go back to to to, to the game itself. Have you been discussing politics? As, as, Ah, well, well, a little bit. <laughs> small, small you ended up really nicely. With, you ended up with a tear in the eye to, to give that emotional feedback. That, that was a good one. That was a good one, Nick. <laughs> um, but if if you look at at all of the games that 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 you've seen in in all of these years that you are there as a commentator, what teams and what players have impressed you the most, and why? Oh, oh, and so if only you knew what a difficult question that that was. It's, yeah. <laughs> there are so many games and so many players over the years that that I've enjoyed their company. I've enjoyed their their hockey, uh, and oh, it's so. I mean, I, I I've got a soft spot, of course, for the the entertainers, the people that that, yeah. that, uh, that play with joy in their hearts, uh, and who, who turn it on. And they they are the players that the EHL were was invented for, really. And, and it's given them uh-huh. a platform to to showcase what a wonderful, spectacular sport we've we've got. Which clubs have I enjoyed? Well, I, I, all of them in so many ways. I mean, it's, it's very hard. It's, it'd be easy to single out, you know, the Blumendals, the Uhlenhorst, the Hamburgs, the, the Kampongs, the, uh, the Garras, you know, pretty, pretty much everybody. But... I've got a bit of a soft spot for some of our Eastern European friends as well, you know, because they they turn up each and every year in some cases, often with uh-huh. very similar looking squads, never with any yeah. real prospect of, of progressing very hard, uh-huh. but just in the hope that they can just edge their game forward a little bit so they can. And, you know, we, we were talking about where we're 
places we should be hosting. I would love, for just from a pure development point of view, I would love to see us hold at least one round of the HL in Eastern Europe, probably in Poland. Uh-huh. Poland, Poznan or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah something yeah, like that, because they've got the facilities now. Uh, and uh-huh. and I'm sure they've got the they've got the the people to do it because they, you know, they're they're not without support when they come over either. And so, uh, but the, the players, yeah, you've got to think back. Perhaps the early the early stages. Uh, Willie Chicken Dance was was great value. No first, uh, yeah, absolutely. No first, his incredible powers of, of of leadership and captaincy, bringing his team back from hopeless situations to turn things around. Uh, turned mm-hmm. turned a Neuer, of course, and and all the, the fun that he's he's given the, the sport. I also think yeah. about some of our umpires and some of the some of the characters we've seen blowing a whistle and the fun that they. Uh, oh, whoa! Which, which umpire would you call out then? Well, <laughs> I never think about the umpires. Yeah, but you're right. Yeah, we need no, I, I think they've been you know people like Hamish Jamson, for example. Um, uh, Paco, uh, Paco Vasquez, uh, being great. Yeah. Andy Mayer, now a very, uh-huh. very successful hockey photographer. Um, we, we've so many, so many, um, top, top umpires, you know, Olympic quality umpires who bought, um, yeah, who showed that human side. But because they were mic'd up, they, 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 yeah, they became characters too. Uh, but if, yeah. obviously, we think about the high scorers, the uh, Herzberger, yeah. Jeroen Herzberger, fabulous little player. Again, yeah. a, another great crowd pleaser. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm I'm going for the goal scorers, aren't I? And there's been some great, no, but it's, it's there's some great defenders as well, and of course. One of the uh, the great joys for me is the quality of the goalkeeping that we've seen, and it's not always orthodox, mm-hmm. but it's uh, it's always exciting. In terms yeah, of that gives some added spectacle as well. Yeah, it it, it, it does. I mean, EHL has just been a, a gift that keeps on giving from from first to last. And the great thing about it is you can never you can never take your eye off it because there's always a twist in every game as Absolutely. something comes along. It just Sit, makes you sit back in the seat, saying, "Wow, did we really see that?" And that, that's that was the sort of the sort of power that Mo Firster had. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What was your most memorable game that you ever watched as a as a hockey commentator, and why? You have to single out one game. <laughs> well, you've let, you've let, given me a really hard one to finish with there. Uh, <laughs> I guess you think back to, to, to the finals. I'm going to go for the EHL because it's so close to my heart. Um, but I could yeah. I, equally, I could have gone with some of the European finals I've seen as well. I remember the England's men winning a European Cup in uh, in Amsterdam a few years back now. And yeah, again, I, I had tears not in one eye, in both eyes, and that because that was that was a remarkable uh, performance uh, by England. And it gave us a chance to uh-huh. to hold our heads up again, um, having gone through a bit of a rough patch. But if we're talking about two thousand nine, two thousand nine, yeah. Well, actually, I'm going. I'm going for two thousand eight, two thousand nine. The final of the EHL was in Rotterdam, and it, it Blumendal UHC, so Ulen uh-huh. to Hamburg, and it finished five four in favour of, of Blumendal. And I've never seen a bad five four game of you. 
It was. It, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, that, that was that was that was great great value. But you know what? I I don't know how many. Well, games. I've seen I've seen hockey's I've seen hockey games with that score that were bad hockey, oh, but they were ah, always that's, spectacular. That's different. That's, that's different. Yeah, I, I mean the quality was was there. The the respect that both teams had for each other was there. The atmosphere was there. It it had it had everything. But uh, th- those of you who follow uh, EHL as uh, as closely as I do, perhaps more closely than I do in some ways, uh, will probably have your own ideas. And I don't think we've got too much uh, wrong over the years in terms of bragging that we provide entertainment. I think there have been some fabulous games, uh, and let's hope there are plenty more just around the corner. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a big shame that the the big EHL tournament that was about to start right now will not be happening this year. But uh, I share your uh, your your uh, longing for the, the the fact that that it returns. It returns strong, and it returns uh, soon. <laughs> yeah, and we will return. And that's that's the key thing. We want to, you know we we want to see everybody back uh, doing whatever it is that they they do, whether they're players officials, uh, spectators, the media, everybody needs to be, to, to be back. And that's why it's so important that we we stick to the rules and we stay safe and uh, just wait for this to storm to blow over. There are some uh, pretty wise words to end this podcast with. Thank you very much, Nick Irvine, for all of your time and for uh, giving us some extra added value to uh, the games that we love to see. Thanks, Hans. It was a great pleasure, as ever. Thanks for tuning in to Studio Hockey. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And as always, enjoy your hockey. Bye-bye.